Hi everyone, I'm Tassos Dimitriou here with Ivy Reflex. I'm here today with uh, Daniela Barros and Constantine Robin. They are the executives for the Energy Club at Ivy Business School. Thank you for being here today, you guys. So the two of you recently got to sit down and interview Goldie Hyder, who is the president and CEO of the, of the Business Council of Canada. And we're going to talk about a lot about that today. But just before we get into that, can you tell the people a little bit about yourselves? Yeah, so thank you, Tassos, for having us here. We're really excited, both myself and Daniela here, to, to be part of Ivy Reflex and to really give people the opportunity to kind of get educated on some of the topics, especially energy topics here um, before the federal elections coming up very soon. So a bit about myself. So I'm, I'm Constantine Robin. I, uh, I've been working in the energy sector for uh, one of the largest uh, company out here, Suncor Energy. You might be familiar with uh, the Petro Canada uh, gas station brands. I was working there in their supply chain department and got the opportunity to work in, in, in various aspects of uh, the company, whether it's for those familiar, the upstream business, which is the expiration, the midstream, kind of the pipeline storage, and then downstream, which relates more to the retail and gas station. So um, part of why I wanted to be um, a, a member and a president of the Energy Club was to help people get educated around the topic. And I think it's extremely important for, for the Canadian energy industry. Hey, Dazos, thanks for having us. My name is Daniela Barros, and I worked in the pipeline industry for almost eight years at TransCanada Pipelines. You'd be more familiar with the company by very various topics such as Keystone XL and other contentious pipelines. Um, I worked mostly in projects and business development, and I had an opportunity to work in Canada and in Mexico for the last couple of years of my career. So this is going to be a very energetic uh, chat today. So going into your uh, conversation with Goldie, what was it that you two wanted to get out of that conversation? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, Tasso. So Goldie, as, as some of you might know, was a keynote speaker during the uh, leadership conference that we had here at Ivy. And um, both Daniela and I thought that this would be a great idea to, to interview him and to see his perspective on what the energy industry means to Canada. And the, the, the fact that he's such a big proponent of, of the industry being Albertan uh, as well, we thought it would be a great idea. Um, he, he, our intent was really to get people engaged on getting educated about energy, to understand what impact they might do in the next federal election. And I think he was able to, to convey a lot of those information there. Walking into that conversation, having such a rich background in the energy sector yourselves and now halfway through the MBA program here at Ivy, uh, what did you what were your views on the energy uh, sector here in Canada and how did they kind of change after the conversation and being here for six months? That's a really good question, Tassos. I think before the MBA, I always thought that energy was very misunderstood. I don't think we have the right information out there for people to really get educated. And I think after talking to Goldie, he just reiterates the same point. It is very important we start talking as a country and not divide the East and the West. And it is incredibly important that we help our cohort understand more. And that's one of the things that Constantine and me want to do this year. That was the biggest takeaway. We need to do more. We need to be better coming from the energy industry and just spread this real information around. You did mention the divide between East and West, and I know he brought that up. That is one of the things we have to watch for from a regulatory perspective. I and mean, we had a very controversial bill make its way through Parliament in the last session called Bill C-69. And, um, you know, we were, we were very active behind the scenes uh, on that bill, trying to make it better than it was. And I think we did make it better than it originally was, but it still fell short uh, in terms of our confidence that if you are an investor, 
uh, from outside of Canada or even inside Canada, and you're looking at the regulatory regimes, and you're looking at the history of where we've been, and you're looking at a, at a, at a regulatory process in which after having gone through an entire regulatory process, it's still subject to a cabinet override, a cabinet veto, and with great respect to cabinet, most of them aren't engineers, most of them don't know how a project works, and somehow the politics of this could override something like that. Well, that gets very hard to, to, to attract capital. And so we have to be very careful because there's an old saying in, in, in politics, but it applies in business just as much. Money follows message. So what are the main differences between voter mentalities in, say, Alberta versus Ontario or Quebec? Of course, and I, I think we talk about East and West a lot, but let's keep in mind that the West also has two parts, right? There, there's the BC, uh, British Columbia, and then there's the West more in, with regards to prairies. We have Quebec, obviously, Ontario, very different views depending on the provinces. I, th I think a, a lot of the frustration that happens, especially in the West um, in the past few years, was the flight of capital that's been happening because of so much uncertainty and regulations and, and feeling left out in how Canada's progressing in terms of uh, its energy industry and, and, and how the support's coming there. One big thing about the West, and especially Alberta, is that they contribute a huge amount of money in terms of equalization payment to the rest of the country, um, especially Quebec's being a, a big proponent of that. Um, and, and there's that sense of frustration because the West has gone through um, some more difficult time um, during the oil, oil crisis and oil downturn, and they, they felt left out in that, in that battle there. And Constantine, I just want to come back to you, to you. You did mention the equalization payment. Can you just give a shed a little bit about uh, background on that for uh, people who might not necessarily know what that is? Yeah, great question. And so the, the equalization payment is really a system that allows the province that have versus the province that don't have as much to kind of benefit from a unified country. So meaning, for example, Alberta will benefit from a lot of their resource industry, generate a higher amount of GDP and be able to transfer that money to provinces that are struggling a lot. So it, it, it should work in both fashions. Um, the, the problem comes when um, the province that is still struggling, so in this case, Alberta, is not doing as well. They're still doing better than a lot of other parts of the country. So that balance kind of gets thrown off. Okay. One thing I would like to add here, and it's something that is talked in Alberta a lot because it is frustration for everybody. Bombardier has been bailed out by the government several times. They've gotten a big chunk of money from taxpayer dollars, and when the West was in trouble and people lost their jobs, the West didn't get anything. And that is that, that resentment almost that they have contributed to the taxpayers' dollars and now when we're in trouble, nobody's there to help us. Right. And we shouldn't be looking at it like that. We are one country, let's help everybody in it. Goldie mentioned Bill C-69. Can you shed a little more light on that and just give the viewers kind of a high level uh, description on what that is? Yeah, no, great, great. And I, 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 we, we hear a lot about these bills, whether it's C69, uh, C48. There's a lot of new bills that have been put in place lately. Um, and and, and from, from a Western perspective or from, from the Alberta's perspective, it, it, it feels like these bills have been uh, put in place to kind of um, slow down the process of new infrastructure project. So the essence of Bill C-69 really comes down to that. It's about um, making a, a, a more, um, I would say, convoluted and unclear process in terms of any infrastructure project. So it tends to be very um, politicized in, with regards to pipeline, but this also applies to highways, to hydro plants, to any type of infrastructure project really being built. 
-hmm. there's there's this big element within the the bill that's called the impact assessment and the problem with this and it, it, it's a it's a great bill in, in in the sense that it allows more um rigorous process to go through with local communities uh and and assess the environmental impact the problem is that there's no guidelines around it and it's really in a, in a very gray area for for most people to to decide on right. and looking outside of that from an investor's perspective that the, the amount of uncertainty that exists is, is not reassuring and it is not putting in any investor confidence. The TMX pipeline has become about much more than the TMX pipeline. This has now become a symbol. Uh, it has become the poster child, uh, if you will, for whether Canada is serious uh, about attracting foreign investment and, and uh, developing the capacity to get its product to market. Because if it is not, if it chooses by its own you know, doing to essentially lock its resources, uh, in, in, not even sharing them in the country, just being able to access whatever existing infrastructure we do have, uh, that is a recipe for disaster when it comes to foreign investment. We need capital. Uh, we've already seen, a, a, I'm not going to overstate it, but certainly an exodus, I was going to say mass, but an exodus uh, from, the, from the oil sands. Uh, we have seen consolidation taking place to, to, to create some, um, you know, ra rationality in, in how to fund these, fund, these, fund these projects. You mentioned infrastructure projects, one big one being the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Can you talk a little bit about that uh, based on your conversations with Goldie, kind of what the rate is, what the rate is for getting that uh, approved or maybe if it's already built, what's kind of going on there and what its, its significance is for Canadians? So let's start by giving a little bit of a description of Trans Mountain Pipeline. Sure. This pipeline will be an oil pipeline that will transport oil from the oil sands all the onto the west coast of BC. For the listeners, I think it's very important to know that there already exists a Trans Mountain Pipeline. This was built back, I believe, in the 70s or 80s, and it's been flowing oil for decades very safely. What the company was trying to do is to, what we call in the industry, looping it, so putting a second pipeline to increase the volume flow. This has been greatly scrutinized by everybody. Do I think it is going to be permitted and used at some point? I don't think that's an answer anybody can tell right now should it be yes and the reason why is our biggest customer of oil is the states right now the u.s is the only country that buys our oil they recently became a net exporter and what all of that means is that they don't need us anymore they can produce their own oil they can use their own oil but what they can do is buy our oil for cheap sell it back to us for more expensive yeah. so not great news for us what the energy industry is trying to do is to get more customers. We're trying to diversify and this pipeline will create value for that. They will try to help us to get this oil to Asia, China or other countries and stop depending on the state so much when it comes to our natural resources. Interesting. Yeah, if I can add to that as well, I, th I think what, what, what boggles me the most here is that from from a BC perspective where a lot of opposition is currently happening, we see oil flowing through from Alberta down to the States, being refined there and then being shipped back into Vancouver through ports at this point. It's not like Vancouver is a fossil free uh, place as of today. So why why wouldn't it make more sense to have it stay within the country and not have to pay such a huge differential in terms of, of gas prices, right? Absolutely. It's a very good point. 
One of the great challenges that Canada is going to be facing over the course of the next decade or so uh, is our demographic challenge. And so many of the people, you know, some of my very own members and others are not going to be in their roles in 10 years. And so we, we need to have that pipeline, <laughs> pardon the pun here, but we need to have that talent pipeline uh, that uh, allows people to enter uh, into the energy sector and to do so with, with pride uh, and to do so with optimism and to do so with the, the, the moral conviction to say, I'm going to make things better. And I, and, I, and I think that that is, again, my hope that the millennial community um, will uh, fight this fight because I think your voice carries a lot, a lot of weight and a lot more weight than perhaps you give yourselves credit for. You and Goldie talked a bit about talent acquisition and what, it, what kind of um, the outflow Please do mind the pun uh, of talent from <laughs> traditional energy from the traditional energy sector. Uh, having been in the energy sector for so long as the two of you have, and now being halfway through your MBA, what do you think the energy sector can do to kind of attract back talent? Right. Um, I, I think there 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 are a few key things. One is not only from the industry's perspective itself, but from a from a government level. I would say. In, in terms of putting more certainty in the market. Um, I've gone through a downturn myself and I've seen a lot of people lose their jobs and lose that sense of security. At the end of the day, I think people are looking for something that might be stable, that they, they could project themselves in their careers. If the energy industry itself doesn't have that prospect or that future ahead, then why would people want to go in that industry and risk it? Um, there's, there's currently, like during the last downturn, more than 100,000 pe people were laid off. Um, in, in the oil and gas industry. That's, that's a huge amount. So I think like a, a level of certainty from government is one key thing. Then from, from the industries itself, I think what needs to be done is, is acknowledging that, that we're in this time of change um, and that there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of, of uh, changes in technology in terms of what energy sources are going to be produced. We talk about fossil fuel here, but there's obviously a growth in renewables. If companies are able to um, also acknowledge that, that the climate change is happening and that there's some focus in that area and growth in those areas, I think that would be a, a big element that would help attract more of a younger, talented generation that exists here. One thing that Goldie talked about as well is the energy sector worked the way it worked traditionally for many decades. And very recently, it all became very spotlighted. And the companies caught into this information too late. Now they're trying to backtrack to tell the public what they were doing. And that was their mistake. Right. That's completely on them. And that's something that they need to start with. They need to start being more honest. They need to give this information out to the public to understand really what they do. I was very benefited from this industry. I had the opportunity to work abroad as an expat. I had opportunities with very large multi-billion dollar projects. You will learn a lot. There's a lot of really cool stuff happening but it's not known. And that's the first thing. The companies need to start publicizing this. They need to give this information around and excite people to go and work for them. To that point, I want to talk a bit about the misconceptions because I know even after this chat so far, there's a lot of things that I, I've been listening to you to speak, the two smartest people I know, by the way. And I, I'm kind of thinking, oh, that's not how I kind of, how that information came to me through you know reading about reading uh, listening to politicians or just reading a lot of maybe biased resources online. So for you to what are kind of the biggest misconceptions about the energy sector? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, for for me, I think it's it's 
that the industry is an old industry that doesn't innovate. From, from what I've seen in my experience, there's a ton of innovation that happens. Um, the, the, you, you could look these stats up, but um, Calgary is, is the second place um, with the most patent in Canada after Waterloo. There's billions of dollars that goes in clean tech innovation uh, within the industry itself. Having worked with Suncor, there's huge investments that happen to not only develop the existing um, uh, fossil fuels that exist and resources, but also looking towards clean tech and capitalizing on that. There's, there's a huge amount of network that, that also supports um, the producing of like clean uh, hydrocarbon energy throughout the country. That's called CRIN, and you can look that up. It, it funds a lot of the things that happen in that space. AI, we hear a lot about it these days, digital uh, technology. The industry right now is going through a lot of change with that. There's still there's still an element of quantifying what the value of that is for, 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 for the companies, but there's a big opportunity that exists within that space. And, you know, the, the use of talent is, is required in order to do that. One of the biggest things that bothers me about the misconceptions is that our Canadian oil is dirty, that we have dirty oil and we should just stop producing it. Canadian oil is one of the most highly regulated in the world. We have some of the most constrained environmental and safety regulations across all of the countries. We have spent billions of dollars to make sure we're not affecting our environment. Our oil is simply heavier. It is not dirty. We should be proud by the fact that we have it. Other countries across the world will kill to have the natural resources that we have, and we can use it effectively to help change the other thing is these companies have the money and the desire to change energy to just not be fossil fuels but as constantine said just energy and if we want to get there we need them we need them as our allies the reality is we're not going to shut down oil tomorrow and just continue without it it's just not realistic so we need to start working together instead of against these companies so Given your conversation with Goldie, was there anything that really uh, surprised you or that's very uh, worth mentioning here? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I don't mean to be an alarmist either, but but one, one big thing that Goldie highlighted is, and, and this will relate to many people um, having done MBA, having done courses with Rommel here, the fact that Canada is, is lagging on productivity and innovation. Um, I think that's something that is extremely worrying. We were not yet able to to, you know, to innovate in that, in that sense. And why start killing an industry uh, such as the energy resource, uh, one that's a golden goose for Canada and not invest in it further to actually help build this, this productivity gap? I think th that was one big thing for me. Uh, another one for me was with regards to, to the, um, the lack of vision that we tend to have in Canada. The, the fact that we're, we're in a democracy, and, and that's a, an, an extremely important thing, but there, there's a lack of this longer-term vision for Canada and what do we want to do with the country. We tend to think in terms of, you know, what's the next election? Okay, great, and then change that vision again. That's not, that's not a way that you run a country, I would think. It's something, there needs to be a unified, unified voice across it all. That's great. So given all that, um, what advice would you give to voters trying to come up to, with their own conclusions on the on energy policy? Uh, get involved, get involved in and in, in, in have interactions with your, your politicians. Um, <laughs> ask them tough questions around, 
you know, what's, what's kind of the energy policy you're having now and, and what's going to be the impact on the economy, but also the environment? Like, how is that going to help the country uh, overall? Um, ask them about what their vision is for, for the country itself, right? Where, where do they see Canada um, years down the road? What's going to happen? And if, and if, if there are views about, uh, you know, um, divesting from the energy industry, if that's the case, what's, what's kind of the replacement that we have at this point, right? What's going to happen to millions of people that are employed from, from the sector? Do, do we have a plan to, to go about with that? I, I, I've, I've still yet seen that. One of the things that I would suggest to people is to make sure that whatever information you're reading, it comes from a reliable source. There is a lot of misinformation out there. We have seen stats that are simply not true regarding energy. Be informed, question the sources, question this information, and come talk to people. We're more than happy to answer any questions as best as we can. The true answers, no sugarcoating it, no making it prettier. Just be informed, educate yourself, and don't trust everything you're hearing about energy without really knowing the source. Uh, Daniela and Constantine, what's next for the Energy Club at Ivy? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. I think I think our our mandate really is going to keep educating people around this. the The federal election is going to be a very interesting time. So, as Daniela mentioned, we're more than open to have discussions about energy topic or, or to direct people to to the right source, the right truth, right? Um, in, in terms of events coming up here, we're, we're planning a Calgary trip for next year in February. We're really hoping that as many people as, as we can in the class, we're, we're trying to make this a skiing trip as well. So not, not just about the, the energy industry. There's more than that over there. Uh, so yeah, I, I think this would be a great thing for, for a lot of people to discover Calgary, discover the source of, uh, of a lot of, uh, the Canadian economy here. Just continue the mandate from the start. Educate, educate, educate. That's all we have, basically. That's great. I cannot wait for that trip. I cannot wait. Thanks a lot, you two. That was a really good conversation. And for the listeners, don't forget to tune in next time when we will be talking with the Women in Management group here at Ivy Business School.